0: Our scripture reading this morning is Joshua 8, 1 through 29. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, and his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai, And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty, mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, they are fleeing from us, just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush, and lay between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. Joshua arose early in the morning, and mustered the people, and went up, and he and the elders of Israel before the people to Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up, and drew near before the city, and encamped on the north side of Ai, with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and sent them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent the night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward the the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city, and Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them, and as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that, for the people who fled into the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai, and the others came out from the city against them, so that they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down, until there was was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him near to Joshua." When Israel had finished killing all of the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all uh, all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel turned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were twelve thousand, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all of the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city, Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins, as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded, and they took down his body from the tree and threw it in the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. The word of God, for the people of God.
1: When Stephanie mentioned judges in the church, I think the kids were looking at my robe. So, we're um, uh, continuing with Joshua, and kind of remember where we are um, in the narrative. He's brought them into the Promised Land, and they've uh, conquered Jericho. Uh, They marched around Jericho, and miraculously, the walls came down on the seventh day of encircling Jericho, And you'll remember that one member of the tribe kept for himself silver and gold and clothing from Jericho hidden in his tent so that the next city they came to, Ai, um, they decided on their own that they would just take a few people and go attack it, that it wasn't great. But because they um, were not um, being obedient, God did not hand the city over to them and they were defeated and they fled and um, they, they had returned, and it was only after they dealt with the sin in the camp uh, that God now comes back, and God graciously says, now you will go, and I will be with you. Be obedient. God, this time, gives them directions, um, and He tells them what they're going to do. Take all the uh, fighting men, go to I. Um, I'm handing this over to you. And he gives them a little bit different. Now they can keep some of the livestock, some of the wealth of the land for themselves. And what he tells them to do is to ambush the city, you know, have a few people go up. And then as they are attacked, go out and the rest come in and attack the city while the forces are out of the city. And that is now the plan. And so they're obedient. They do this. Joshua leads them and he um, leads them as they, they set up the ambush. The people come out uh, thinking like it was the first time. You'll remember uh, they, they said, hey, they're going to think this is what we did earlier when we fled from them. They're going to come out, and the, the people of I are, are, have to be encouraged. They beat them once, and you know, they're, they think they can do it again. They see them running away again. They are going to assume they're in retreat, and this time they're ambushed. God hands them over they are destroyed. The city is burned. And at the very end, they take the king of Ai out and they hang him on a tree. And anyone familiar with the Old um, Testament passages that talk about God's curse uh, being upon anyone who is hanged from a tree, it's kind of a, a sense of this whole city is destroyed and the king who represents the people, represents the nation, himself is being accursed by being hung on a tree and then they bring him down and they, they set up the stones. And we, we hear of this war, this, this violence, all showing God handing over this evil city, um, using um, these people to, to bring his judgment upon them. The big thing I want us to see in this passage. Is that this is not Jericho? Seems pretty obvious, right? But but think about it. The people had come, and God's going to hand them over. And the very first thing they do is um, you're going to you're going to carry the ark. You're going to encircle. You're going to blow trumpets. You're going to do that seven days, and then on the seventh day you're going to do it seven times, and um, the walls fall down and the city is taken. And wouldn't most people think? Oh, okay. Here's the next city. Get the priest with the ark ready. Let's march around it. Let's get ready to march and blow. I'm the, the tune's kind of in my head. I know what to do now. We're, we've got this down. We're ready. But but what does God do? God says, All right, this time you're going to set up an ambush, and I'm going to hand the city over that way. And I I, I just think it's an important thing us to see is that God does not always act in the same way. Now, God's character is always consistent. He is faithful to his promises. He saves. He's always merciful. He's always good. He's always perfectly just. But God does not act in the same way with every event. He doesn't just have one trick that he's going to use. He is at work guiding them and saying, now here's the way you're going to do it this time. You don't just get the pattern and do that and somehow manipulate me because you've got the formula down. And I think very often we tend to just assume God is going to be at work in the same way, and we want to impose that on other people. Let me give you a couple of examples. One is very personally, God has been at work in each of your lives in a unique way you know as i know your stories i know the things that you've gone through some of you you you've come to faith later in life and in, in, in kind of a shock for other people that you became a christian uh, you you lived in in a way that was very much not a follower of christ and in a sudden moment of hearing the gospel you were transformed and you changed and your life was very different it was a 180 degree change you were God grabbed you and set you in a different path. Others of you can't remember a time that you have not been in church trusting in Jesus, having the covenant promises in you and and seeking to be obedient, that you have had faith in him. God is at work in both of those. God God is at work, and the one who um, hears the gospel being shared in in a way that they've never heard before as an adult, and they turn radically. There's others who, you know, just as much believe. The the temptation is when people take their experience rather than God's Word and decide God's going to do the same thing on other people. And so if I had a radical transformation in my life, then that must be the way God does it. And if you, some of you have heard that if you can't remember the moment you became a believer, you're not really one. That's kind of saying God has to act by the way He's done it in my life. And the temptation for any of us can be to say my experience and the way God does it is God does the way I've known it to do. So, some of you might say, if if you didn't have that radical experience and change, are you really a Christian? And others might kind of have the idea that you know, if you're really a believer, then you've just been at it for a while. And and does God really change people in a moment? And you might question: are, are their emotions just really high at the time? Are, are they really a believer, or are they they suddenly God works in? all these ways. I've, I've seen believers from each one of you completely unique in the way God has brought you to Himself. I see it the same way with the interest and the way God gives us special uh, gifting and fruit. There there are some believers who, um, you know, defending the faith and having um, answers in theology and, and knowing doctrine, uh, it becomes kind of the idea that we need Everyone to equally be involved in this. I've seen then others who they're they're gifted with a call for mission and a passion to um, for foreign missions and to, to share and and they kind of look suspect at someone who isn't as enthusiastic and excited about that as someone else and others who you know it's but the idea is that each of us have very different areas that God has gifted us and draws us to and gives us a heart for and that we get excited about. But there can be a temptation for someone to say, you know, if you're just not as excited about this particular uh, ministry as I am, I'm not sure you're really a Christian. God is working with all of us, giving us longings and giving us... um, Uh, areas of interest and gifts unique. He doesn't act at Jericho the way he acts at I. And so we we not only can personally do that, but we can kind of do that with um, a church. The number of churches I have seen um, building a family life center because the large church down the street had a family life center, and it brought families in, and so we need to do it too. And the number who've built a family life center and then realized, oh, they don't just come and fill the thing up after you build it, no. Uh, but there, there's almost this temptation to look at another church and say, this is what they did, that's what God blesses, therefore we must do it. I, I've seen God bless amazingly educational programs, God bless amazingly um focus on, you know, different aspects, but God calls us as a congregation to be who He's made us to be. He doesn't act at Jericho the way He acts at I. We can't bring in a formula that's been packaged and bought off the shelf and say, we're going to apply this and we're going to do here, and if we follow these steps, God will bless it. God acts at Jericho in a different way than He acts at I. Are there areas in your life that you're tempted to make your experience rather than God's Word, the judgment over whether or not God is really acting? That, that someone's following of Jesus and their prayer life and their experience might be different, but God acts uniquely in each one of our lives. But here, more than that is this is not the spectacular miracle that we see at Jericho. He acts uniquely in our lives, but he also doesn't always act in the spectacular evidence that we see at Jericho. Um, Jericho was miraculous. They, they they march around and the walls tumble. In I, God gives them wisdom and a strategy. Here's what you do. And for someone watching, they wouldn't know God was at work in any of it. It just seemed like a really smart strategy, a good military tactic. That's what they did. Anyone actually could have, you know, done this theoretically. It's just they could have set up an ambush and attacked. And so you don't look at it and say, wow, that's God at work. That's a miracle. I I, I confuse people at times because I think we forget that God is at work in all of our life and and in everything that we do because I kind of point out that when When someone goes and they're they're healed, um, we tend to think it's only God at work when they had a really bad, um, uh, you know, case where where the doctor said, we just don't think there's much hope. So we say, let's pray harder, let's pray more, as though somehow God is less at work healing someone when there's a better recovery chance than less. Uh, we, We see God at hand, God at work in both of those. But I think we're tempted to see the the spectacular and the amazing as only that's when God does a miracle and not so much when God is um, just using ordinary means, using education of doctors, using medicine, using gifts. He is as much at work in those as the recovery that leaves the, the physicians completely confused. We don't look at just the spectacular, see, God at work. God is at work here, even in the ordinary, the mundane. That means God is at work in your life in ways that can seem really ordinary, just seem like this is the way the world works. God uses people in your life to provide for you. God uses people in your life to to bring healing. God uses people in your life to encourage you and strengthen you. God uses, you know, our our education, our experience, the events and the things going, all of those are God's providence at work for your good, for your salvation. Some of you might have had moments where God just seemed really evident in your life. Maybe your heart felt lifted when you prayed. Maybe there were just things that you felt closer to God. Maybe there were events that left no doubt in your life that God was work in that moment. You might have had that, and you might ask yourself later, why don't I see God at work now in that way? Why isn't God acting in very obvious, manifest ways that He used to or that I've seen in other people's lives that people have shared with me? God is as much at work at I as he is at Jericho. God is as much in your life as you go about your business, doing your day-to-day work and um, living and worshiping and doing what God has called you to do. He is in control. He is providentially guiding. He is using that to do his will as much as those incredible moments when you felt close to him. Don't always look for the Jericho and realize in your life, it can just be wisdom and going about everyday life that he is at work still with you. The promise of his word is that he is with you. The, the promise of um, his faithfulness is enough to let us know that even when it doesn't seem obvious, even when I'm not feeling as close, his word has told me he is with me. He's promised to be faithful. He's promised to be with us. He's promised to work all things for good. And that means there are things you have never known about that God is doing in your life. You don't have to know about it. You just have to trust that He is. There are things, not only just amazing things God does that we see, but there's things He's protected us from that we've never known about. there's things that he's doing we might know about 20 years from now. There's things he's doing in our life we might not be aware of until we're in glory. But the promise is, even in what seems very ordinary, God is at work. He doesn't always act the same. He doesn't always um, do the the spectacular and, and the amazing. But here is also the incredible grace of God. Not only does God work in our life in spite of our sin, God works in your life using your sin for your good and for your glory. Do you notice the strategy is an ambush? And they say, and we will flee, and they will see us fleeing and think like we did before. And all of that was because they had sinned. They had not been obedient to God. They had not done what God wanted, and they were forced to flee. And God is going to use that where the people say, oh, they're doing what they did before in their sin, and that is part of God's strategy and the way he's going to use to hand the city over to them. Now, please do not hear me wrong. That does not mean go sin and say, oh, God's going to bless it and make it good. That does not mean say, I'll do whatever I want, and God's going to work out good. If you have a heart that is saying, I want to sin, I want to warn you that is a sign that you are not in Christ. That is a sign that you are headed for the condemnation of sin if your thought is, I can just sin and God will do whatever. Don't take it as, hey, the Bible says I can go sin. They would have been much better off to be obedient. But do take this, there are sins in your life that you can take great comfort in as much as they are wrong, as much guilt as they brought, as much as God hated them, and as much as you look and see, you did not overthrow God's will for the universe. God's grace is so great that not only does he forgive our sins, but he uses our sins for his glory and our good. That he takes their rebellion and their sin and flips it over to use it as the method of which he conquers I is a sign of how rich his mercy is and how deep his grace is. Repent of your sins turn away, be obedient, but know that even your failures are within God being used for good and for His glory. We see that here. And don't we even see it at the very final moment? The very final moment. I'm just astounded at these little things that seem so insignificant, but then they point us even here to Jesus. God uses even sin for His glory. He used the greatest sin of all for the greatest good. What sin could be worse than killing the Son of God? And as we see a king taken outside of the city and hung on a tree bearing the curse, he rightfully does. But do we not see a picture of a king who is going to come one day? And in the greatest moment of sin, as God's people reject him, and they blaspheme, and they curse him, and they take him outside the city, and they hang him on a tree, and they pierce him in the greatest evil committed, he takes upon himself that curse and that sin and that guilt. And he flips it, just as God used their sin against I, and he overthrows the kingdom of darkness and the city of evil, and he uses our sin for the greatest good, the redemption of his people, for your salvation, for your forgiveness. God's grace is so unfathomably deep. We believe this, and we trust this, and we seek to be obedient to the one who saves us, even using our sin to do so. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.